Hi, welcome back. This is Whited Peter Singh. This is Unmoderning, part three. I was caught somewhere between redneck and hippie. I was caught between the lukewarm and the deists and the atheists and the fundamentalists and the humanists. I was half hippie, half redneck, half preppy, half nerd. I say there were four halves because what this modernist input and media blast does is make you confused. That is the state of most people today, especially if your main hobby is staring at a screen. Jesus cures a demoniac who has this problem. The person says, I am legion, which means we are many. He says, we are many. It's like, what? There's only one of you, right? No, there's many, apparently. The story of this legion guy in the Bible never made sense until I started examining my own thoughts and worldview once I got out of the fog of this humanism, modernism. Then I realized, holy crap, I was legion. No wonder I was so off-centered. The story of legion in the New Testament is a story about someone who has too many forces struggling for control in his head. It's actually shocking to read the two lines of dialogue from this Legion fellow or the demoniac in light of my own life because I had a similar reaction of anger and revolt when someone approached me about making Jesus my personal savior. I didn't use the same words, but it was pretty close. In Mark 5, uh, Mark chapter 5, this is what it says. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, Legion is my name. There are many of us. There's many of us, he said. More than one of them in there. Uh, that's a really amazing statement. But this is exactly the same condition of our heads today, drowning in media. Anyone that has a visceral reaction of anger to the name of Jesus is in this state. It's in the state of this person. And you can see it if you mention the word Jesus to someone, they lock up. It's like a trigger word. It is a trigger word. It's always been a trigger word. That's why it's so powerful. It divides us like Jesus promised, like a sword. Um, now, the funny thing is, is that Jesus heals. Savior means healer. And he does heal. He heals the person in the story. He heals people of mental problems and anxiety issues a million times a day in this world, if not more, probably far more than that. But the modernist teaching cannot and will not admit that. In fact, the field of psychology, which is intended to heal, purposefully avoids any talk of Jesus, despite seeing it every single day, making people's lives better. Uh, Western medicine in general has the same allergic reaction to the name Jesus as Legion did. And I can't help but wonder if the updated translation of the word Legion is modernism. <laughs> there are all kinds of external voices from TV and TikTok leasing space in your head. If you remember that apartment metaphor, your head is like an apartment and you're just allowing people to move things in there, stack up the boxes. You have the idea of God, the grand piano in the, in the apartment covered with a bed sheet thinking it's not there. You have all of these voices, ideas, ideologies, hobbies, pursuits. Uh, yeah, you're legion. If you're allowing that to happen, you are probably somewhat like legion. And if the media is sponsored and paid for, 
you can bet whatever you're watching is not borrowing ideas from Christ. Or if they are borrowing it, they're doing it in a way that's focused on you and not him. In fact, you can tell if a show you're watching is Christian because the production quality is usually so bad that it's nearly unwatchable. And this is not surprising because fireworks and glamour is the polar opposite of Jesus, on TV anyway. Once you meet him, then it flips completely. Then you, the TV becomes the boring, all the glitz and glamour of TV and NFL and marketing and American Idol and all these things becomes ridiculous and Jesus becomes the fireworks and the glamour, but you have to meet him. But the goal of any image or sound that emits from your radio or television or your phone is to keep you distracted and to keep you divided and to keep you watching. So the more you watch, the more you're isolated, the more ideas are planted in your head, the more furniture's moved into your little apartment upstairs. Now, if you could only track this history of how they groom your thoughts and what it's been done to you, um, it's compliments of Hollywood writers. It's not even unreasonable to say that the idea that abortion is not killing a human being probably came from an episode of Felicity that you watched in college. In my first attempt to escape the madness of the crowd, I leaned secular because I felt that they were the non-hypocrites. It was the religious people that were crazy. That's what I told myself. Oh, and there are plenty of crazy ones on that side too. Don't, don't get me wrong. Upon further review, as I said earlier in the same series, it's like an instant replay in football game, but it took 20 years to go and have the referee stick his head in the bag on the sideline and review the play and come back. I have come to understand with glaring clarity that I leaned secular because of 18 years of heavy schooling on the humanist doctrine. I was drinking from that vine, which is like a, a bad sugar water, um, just like every other public school child in America. And we were kind of like the pods in the matrix where the bodies are just kept alive in a vat of sugar water and we're, we're just being kind of like controlled in these wet pods, the bath water I was talking about. And while we're in there, we're just sitting there watching reruns of the Cosby show and night court. Um, you know, and now that I bring up the Cosby show and night court, those two shows alone taught us a valuable lesson in the reality of television. We thought Bill Cosby was the upstanding citizen and night courts, uh, dirty lawyer, John Larroquette was the pervert only to wake up 20 years later, all of us, and find out it was the opposite. Bill Cosby was the one doing awful things, and John Larroquette had turned his life around even before the show Night Court started and lived a pretty boring, solid life. But let's not get into the path of the woods right there, because I'll get lost. And there's no reason to talk about Bill Cosby or John Larroquette in the terms of unmoderning here. All the while, let's put back on track, all the while, the truth of Christ was there for the finding, but it was buried under hours upon hours of youth sports and late night math assignments and writing reports, which all boiled down to a kind of despair in the form of party till you puke. That was the escape route because there was just no feeling, no nothing, just doing all these work, um, lots of rah-rah, uh, all about you, everything's about you, and that ends up not being very satisfying. The message of Christ, on the other hand, barely stood a chance, if at all. And yet, somehow, it still emerged, and it does this for so many people. It's hard to explain. It's uh, unexplainable. 
even when the world is trying to completely crush this message repeatedly, repeatedly, his light is the one thing that cannot be extinguished. Somehow it finds a way to reach people, despite massive attempts to stifle and kill it off. He finds us when we aren't even looking for him. We're looking for something else and we find him. It's, it's the treasure in the field. You trip over the treasure in the field and suddenly you have it. Or it's the merchant and the pearl who finds the pearl and sells everything he has to own that one pearl. That's what Jesus is. So the end result of this anti-spiritual education system that we went through was to slowly but surely kill off God in our lives, but keeping it just, just occasionally on our lips so we'd say it. Even in like the, the uh, Pledge of Allegiance to say it in there and we pretend it's a controversy to say it when really you're saying it at the beginning of school very half-heartedly, lukewarmly, just like they want us to say it. <laughs> they want us to forget about God and have it just be some sort of lip service in a pledge of allegiance to the flag. Um, it isn't hidden. It's not even a conspiracy. It's plainly stated in the writings and the manifestos of the founders and the architects of modern education. Now, the problem is that if you do try to kill God, you don't kill God. You just wound the child. How? Well, if you tell a child there's no God, the child has not much meaning for existence because now he has to invent it all. Unless you have a really good story that supplants that or replaces it or can substitute, and you don't. Kids recognize this meaningless early on. When kids ask their parents, why don't we go to church? And you say, well, we don't believe in God. That's the end of the story. Then they start having to fish for reasons. Now, kids are more aware of this loss than adults are because it's, it's new to them. And you can observe when the light is going dim in middle school age children. Unless the child has a hobby or goal or sport or some kind of a self-invented worth, the loss of God will be felt early and often. And then it becomes a habit and they will be searching for the rest of their life. For those that have some kind of meaning without God, it will soon fade and need a replacement. Sports and Pokemon, they'll turn into the pursuit of money or sex or mental escape. It has to. The search begins and it never ends. Now with the onslaught of tech and screens distracting the mind, the searching starts even earlier now as non-believing, indoctrinated parents don't even have a badly formed concept of God to offer their children. And, but even that is better than nothing. At least if they can, even the lip service is better than nothing. So what we get then, because we have to save ourselves, the promise of a utopia through social justice sounds great and is a worthy goal. But there's a flaw with this as a standalone solution for finding meaning in life. And it's not sustainable by itself. The problem is that it doesn't strike the heart or address anything related to the needs of the soul. You can be an eco-warrior, and you can love God. You don't have to deny God to love the earth. You can be a social justice warrior on racism, and you can love God. You don't need to do one or the other. In fact, you should do both. It will be so much more powerful if you do. That's why all these people who are rejecting God and saying they're just all in on social justice, they got half the gunpowder in it. They don't use the full gunpowder. They're not even close to what they could be. If you deny the soul, you can never get over these issues with the ultimate questions because you're the savior. 
you don't you have to save the world there's no one there to save you and that's the whole problem with humanism and socialism these are philosophies that can score some points for finding meaning but they're shooting the ball at the wrong basket they're playing in the gym with six baskets and the game is on the two on the far sides they're shooting at a side basket they're not even playing at the right basket this is the whole reason why Jesus continues to win hearts and minds. With Jesus, there's a plan for all things and authority and a reason. And it allows for suffering to make sense, at least to some degree, because it transforms the suffering. But these other philosophies that lack God are a team with no coach and no plan other than a constant sense of progress. And everyone has a different idea what that means. It leads to chaos. Because an endless search means you are always lost. Even if you hit a goal, you immediately need a new goal. Why do you always need a new goal? Because the soul is restless and aimless without God. The attempt to indoctrinate us away from God may seem to work for a while, but eventually it leads us directly back to God. The desire for God is written on the human heart because man is created by God and for God and God never ceases to draw man to himself. Only in God will he find the truth and happiness he never stops searching for. The spiritual death that these education reformers aimed for succeeded in my life, but they failed to bring about the utopia. Unless a massive problem of broken homes, drug abuse, isolation, and identity crises is what they had in mind. I don't know if that's what John Dewey was shooting for, but that's the target he hit. If it was, then, then mission accomplished. Congrats. Humanism wins. Uh, we got this immense amount of broken homes. Uh, just there's a lot of awful things with all this money and wealth. It's not working. The greatest period of wealth generation and higher education in human history has already happened, and the utopia is nowhere near. So, yes, we need to work for a better world, but with the soul and God denied and excluded from our lives, that better world will never arrive because we have to invent new enemies and problems to solve. We cannot be satisfied. I was fully won over to the side of John Dewey and the other educators that sought my spiritual death. I even wanted to see the spiritual death happen in everyone else, which is what you want in your disciples. That's what they were creating in the schools. You want dedication so that they too will convert others. And that's the essence of evangelization. It's a kind of sales. You know, First, you get to the person, you get them to trust you, to believe in your goodness and authority. Then once they're interested in seeking, you set the hook. It's like fishing. And this is why the metaphor of St. Peter being fishers of men makes so much sense. Communists and fascists and humanists also go fishing for men, but they do it through public schools instead of through the pulpit. When something encroached on the culture of secular humanism, I reacted exactly like Christians or Muslims or Jews reacted when a film or book blatantly mocked their religion. Apparently, I considered movies and literature of modern culture sacred in some way. <laughs> it's the great flattening of our age where there is confusion about what is sacred and what is not. This is the spiritual but not religious era where you'll hear everything is sacred. And as soon as you hear that, you can know that nothing is sacred. If everything is sacred, nothing can be set apart as sacred, hence the flattening. This is the same problem with treating every news story as a conflagration, a crisis. Sooner or later, you realize that none of the bated breath urgency of the internet people 
matters at all and that they are merely hysterical and addicted to news. So if every news story is earth-shattering, then no news story is earth-shattering. In the same way, the claim that all places are sacred, it rots the floor out and collapses everything into the profane, because when everything is sacred, nothing is sacred. It's a never-ending string of days with a vanilla cone eaten by oneself with artificial sweetener. What the spiritual but not religious crowd fails to understand is that the reason altars and churches were ever built was to create places that are set apart from the rest of the world to celebrate what is sacred together with other people. The religion of individualism demands flatness and the concept of the spiritual into the material. The spiritual is reduced to nature and is therefore no longer spiritual because the true meaning of spiritual means beyond nature, beyond the universe, beyond the senses. Humanism cannot allow for that transcendence. Otherwise, its own dogma falls apart. 